Good morning, Grace Chapel. It is so good to see you. As Ben said, it is good to see you. Um, this may seem like a really strange question in light of all the changes that we are going through as a society and, and as a church. <clears throat> but do you get bothered? Huh? I can't tell whether you're smiling or you're angry at me. I don't, I don't know. But uh, do you get bothered easily? Yeah, some of you are, are nodding, yes, in the affirmative. What would you say are some of the things that get under your skin? And don't say masks. What are some of the things that you say get under your skin? What, what, are, what are some of the things that bother you? Whiny people. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I won't repeat that. Yeah, you keep that to yourself. That's right. For me, <laughs> for, for me, I sense that, I don't think I'm alone in this either, but I sense that there are people driving on the roads today who should not have a license. This is, this is something that bothers me. Um, some, yeah, some of the episodes that I've encountered when driving behind people on the road are comical in retrospect, but they weren't in the moment. They, they, were, they were actually kind of scary. Um, how about this? Um, does it sometimes bother you uh, when it looks like someone is wasting their potential? You know, someone that you care about and that you, you want to see succeed. Like, like when your child, who has this amazing potential and is, is showing you this great potential, they, they, um, they want to quit playing the piano or, or whatever instrument it is. And they're just, they look like they're a natural and they want to give up. And you're a parent, and so you're saying things like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not letting you. No, 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 you can't quit the piano because you have this obvious God-given talent and I don't want you to waste that gift that God has graced you with because um, you know that someday they're going to regret quitting, right? They're going to see other people successful at doing whatever it is they're doing and they're going to say something like, Mom, Dad, why did you ever let me quit? Like all of a sudden it's your fault now that, that they've ended up in this state. But for right now, you just want them, your kids, to, to learn to discern, to be thankful for the, for the God-given gifts that they have. You want them to, to learn a, a life lesson that there are some times when you just have to hang in there. And you have to take advantage of what you have been given from God. It's, it's these life lessons you want your kids to learn. And then once they grow older and mature, you're in the back of your mind hoping that they may think or they may even say, um, oh, thank you so much, Mom and Dad, for, for, for not letting me quit, for, for make, forcing me to keep practicing. I just didn't know back then, but now I know. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, that might happen. And some of you are looking at your kids right now, I, I, and I get that. But we can't get too comfortable because God communicated this same message to each of us last week in the first eight verses of Second Peter chapter 1. And Peter reminded each of us that um, through, through, the, through the Word of God last week that we have been given the Holy Spirit of God. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior today, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God in your being. And, and, and Peter told us that was in order to be empowered to live as a godly man or a godly woman that we have the God-ordained potential given to us from God himself to become virtuous, self-controlled, not easily ticked off by the motorist in front of us, 
persevering, just, knowledgeable children of God. That's what we have been granted. That's what we have been given. To to live holy lives is is how Peter and, and Jesus put it. Filled with so much love to do so many wonderful acts of service and ministry for so many people. Well, let's let's take a poll. Do you appreciate that? Do you? Do you really appreciate that? Are you living that? That kind of a full potential. This is what Peter is saying. So I'm going to ask you, as we did last week, to stand with me, and we're going to read a couple verses together from. Second Peter, from the Word of God, and I want you to notice, notice here in verses 9 through 11, that what God says to us through Peter about um, who we are, uh, what we have become, what we have, and what God wants us to do. Let's read it together. But concerning the one who lacks such things, he is blind. That is to say, he is nearsighted since he has forgotten about the cleansing of his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to be sure of your calling and election, for by doing this, you will never stumble into sin. Stop there for a minute. Let's say that one more time. For you will never stumble into sin. Are you there yet? Verse 11. For thus an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Let's pray before we get into Second Peter. Father, thank you so much. You have given us so much. You have graced us with so much. A wonderful Savior. The indwelling Holy Spirit. Your care, your protection. Everything we need to live lives of godliness. And we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. You may be seated. Let's say that Jesus Christ appeared in the room today. And after we'd all gotten ourselves up off the floor, he said to us, the summer of 2020 is upon us. It's unfortunately even coming to a close. So as you, I know, I didn't want to remind you. And Jesus says, as you walk out today, I'm going to give you an option. You get to pick A or B. Everyone here has option uh, Plan A or has plan B for the rest of the summer of 2020. Plan A, I can make it very easy and comfortable for you. Uh, Everything is going to go your way. You want a great marriage? It'll be there. uh, You're not married? Well, he or she is coming. You want a new job where you make three times as much money as you did last year? You got it. You, You don't want anyone in your family to get sick, especially with COVID? done. In fact, you're going to get physically fit. It's going to happen. I'm going to do this for you. But you're not going to be any closer to me at the end of the summer than you are right now. You and I are not going to be any more intimate, and you will not grow in your knowledge of me. You got plan B. You can have this. You're going to go through some tough hardships this summer. It's not going to be an easy summer season. But during it all, you and I are going to get so close. And at the end of the summer, you're going to be this man or you're going to be this woman who is so far beyond who you are today. And this steadfastness, this strength is going to be yours uh, that you've never had or experienced before. It's going to be yours through me, and I'll get you through it, but it's going to be tough. Now, be honest, because we're in church. 
which, which one are you going to choose? Plan A or plan B? And was there even any hesitation? Most days I wake up and I don't think right away about my character, about my godliness. How about you? Is that the first thing right out of... <laughs> no. I don't think about wanting to be this certain type of a, of a godly man until I spend a few moments in God's Word, and then I get woke up. And that's what the Apostle Peter is saying here, these words of God, the first 11 verses here in Second Peter chapter 1 are all about you and I living out our faith in God through Jesus Christ with godly character. In verse 9, in verse 9 Peter said, Are you like the person who has, verse 9, forgotten about the cleansing of his past sin. Are we like that on a typical day? Forgetting about who we really are, that we have been cleansed from sin. Because cleansed is who you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, really are. Verse 10, therefore, if this is true, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to be sure of this calling, be sure of the election that God has given you. For by doing this, you will never stumble into sin. How comfortable were you reading, for by doing this you will never stumble into sin? Were you comfortable reading that? Most days we wake up and we just want to be content. <laughs> or let's say, we just want to get through the day. Meaning all of our problems go away. Uh, just get me through this, God. Just, this, this one more day, just, this, is a, this is a tough one. But God's saying here that he wants us to be holy. He wants us to be this solid person who radiates his strength and through his power conquers temptations, conquers. And from what we saw last week and what we saw when we went through the, the letter of Jude, rescue other people from temptations. That's who we are to be. That's who we are. A great example would be instead of getting all frustrated and overly preoccupied and concerned with the presence of a COVID virus on the planet, if I was really concerned more so about my godly character, because that's what God cares about, then my outlook on this current world situation would be tempered by passages like James chapter 1, where James says, consider it all joy <laughs> when you encounter these kinds of trials. Joy? Really? Not the first thing that pops into my head most days. But here it is. And I don't know about you, but I need to be constantly reminded. This is what Peter's doing. Do you ever get frustrated with how often you have to repeatedly remind your children? Yeah. Well, how about you? This is what Peter's doing. This is what God's doing through his word. It's this constant Reminder, constant reminder. Verse 12, therefore, Peter's saying this stuff is so important to your growth and to the furtherance of God's gospel in, in, your, in your life and in, in, through your friends and in your family. I intend to remind you constantly of these things, even though you know them and are well established in the truth that you now have. It's not like he's talking to people who've never read the Word of God and who don't know anything. These people are well grounded. And Peter says, you still need, we all need to be reminded. We need more Peters around who remind us of who we really are 
and what we should really be doing because we tend to forget, we tend to ignore, we get sidetracked by other stuff. And for most of us, our greatest need is not to learn new truths, but to be reminded of the truths that we already know and to put them in practice and to be encouraged to live in light of those truths. Romans chapter 15, Paul says in verses 14 and 15, but I myself am fully convinced about you. He's going to say the same thing that Peter said, that I know you guys have got it together. You're, you're doing well. Keep going. I'm, I'm fully convinced about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with all the knowledge and able to instruct one another. You're in a good place. But I have written more boldly to you on some points. There's that word. So as to remind you because of the grace given to me by God. Not only do our beliefs affect our behavior, but our behavior also influences our beliefs. We, we naturally, all of us, seek consistency in other people's lives, right? Between what they say and what they do. That needs to be on us also. Our, our consistency between our statements of faith, who we say that we are, what we believe, in our conduct, how we live from Monday to Saturday because Sunday we're in church. When our behavior and our beliefs get out of sync, don't you get uncomfortable? We should. We typically become uncomfortable because it's hypocrisy, and we know God hates hypocrisy. Between what I do and what I say, and then when I get there, I start to experience defeat. I start to experience an ineffectiveness. I get uncomfortable and I'm easily tempted and give in. So if, if the way we live, the way you and I live, is contrary to our profession of faith, God says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard. Why? So that we don't drift away. We are in danger of drifting on other currents, and there's all kinds of currents in our society today for you to get on board with and float down the stream. The evangelist D.L. Moody put it this way, the Bible will keep you from sin. Anybody know the rest of it? Or sin will keep you from the Bible. Verse 13, 2 Peter chapter 1, indeed, as long as I am in this tabernacle, he's meaning his present body. I consider it right to stir you up by way of a reminder. As long as I'm alive, Peter says, I'm going to pester you about this. I'm going to constantly tell you over and over again because it's that important. Verse 14, since I know that my tabernacle will soon be removed because our Lord Jesus Christ revealed this to me, I know my time to remind you is short and there's not a whole lot of other people who are going to remind you, unfortunately. Do you remember when, when Peter and Jesus had that talk on the beach? Do you remember that back in the Gospels? It was right after Jesus forgave and restored Peter from his verbally toxic and public denial of Jesus at Jesus' trial. And God, uh, Christ forgave him. And, and Peter was at that time plainly told by Jesus that when he was old, he would be taken captive and he would die for Jesus. He was told that. Do you remember what he said, by the way, right after that? He saw John, the apostle John, he said, well, what's going to happen to him? <laughs> and what did Jesus say? Mind your own business. Mind your own business. 
I've got a plan for each one of my own. And part of God's plan for Peter was to remind us of who we are constantly. What we should be, what we should do. Verse 15, indeed, I will also make every effort that after my departure, after I die, you have a testimony of these things. That's why we have this letter today. Peter, God, made sure that we have it to come back to constantly because Peter's not here to tell us personally. And that's what you and I are doing right now. That's what we're doing here together. That's what we're doing through the video. The last words of a dying man are considered to have a unique, special significance. And Peter is soon going to pass from the scene, but this letter is the means by which you and I will be reminded of these things. So where does this guy, Peter, get this tremendous insight from? Verse 16, he tells them, For we did not follow cleverly concocted fables when we made known to you the power and the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, we were eyewitnesses of his grandeur. We know who this man was, the God-man. For he, this is Jesus, he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory. And here's what God said on the mountain of transfiguration. This is my dear son in whom I am delighted. These are the words that those three guys heard at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And these words fulfilled a prophecy about Jesus the Messiah, that, that God had invested his son with the authority to rule the world. All nations will bow before him one day. You see it in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, where this title of son, it's not just referring to the relationship. We, we often get thinking it's just because, well, there's father and there's son and there's Holy Spirit. It's not so much about the relationship of father and son between the members of the Trinity. It, it's a coronation title. You see this in Psalm chapter 2. It's a coronation title that describes Jesus as the one who's going to sit on the throne of David forever, the eternal king of glory. And he's going to be under God the Father, but over all of creation. In Hebrews 5.5, 5, uh, the writer said, So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming our high priest, but the one who glorified him was God, who said to him, You are my son. Today I have fathered you. And Jesus himself said in John chapter five, 8, verse 54, if I, if, I glory, if I glorify myself, my glory is worthless. Did you catch that? The one who glorifies me is my Father, about whom you people say he is our God. And this is where Peter gets his words from. Wow. Are we listening? And Peter goes on to say, verse 18, when this voice that we heard on the Mount of Transfiguration was conveyed from heaven, we ourselves heard it, the three of us. For we were with him on the holy mountain, Peter, and that was with uh, the two brothers, James and John. Verse 19, moreover, if that wasn't enough, we possess the prophetic word. The apostles possess the prophetic word as an altogether reliable thing. And you would do well if you paid attention to this. There's a reminder again. Pay attention to this as you would to a light shining in a murky place 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. In ancient times, it was the planet Venus that was called the morning star because it was the uh, first to appear at dawn. Jesus Christ is called the morning, the bright morning star in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16 because at his second coming, which that chapter describes, it announces the dawn of a new age in sharp contrast to the age in which you and I live right now, which is a present darkness. And when Jesus returns, there will be no more need for you and I to rely on scriptures for illumination because we will be in the very presence of our Savior who is the living word of God. And we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, that we will, we will be known, we will know fully, even as we are fully known. Jesus was the light in the darkness at his first coming. Jesus today is the, is the light in the darkness that we find in the word of God. And Jesus will be the light when he returns again to destroy the darkness. Jesus himself used many simple parables. We see them in the Gospels. He was he's a, a, a lamp on a hill, uh, uh, a lamp in the night, uh, a light here, a light there, shining. And he used them all to get across God's gospel message. But as you and I wait for his second coming, even so come Lord Jesus. Scripture is what we have been given as our light in the darkness. And only as we obey it, only as we consume it, uh, will we be able to shine on God's behalf in this present darkness as a city on a hill. In verse 20, 2 Peter chapter 1, above all, you would do well if you recognize this. So here's another one. No prophecy of Scripture ever comes about by the prophet's own imagination. In the ancient world, there were, there were many, many documents that were produced. We, we've still got some of them today. They, they've uh, lasted the, through time. But back then, there was were, there were so much being produced. And some of the writers of those documents claimed that it was the actual gods who were inspiring them to record these significant things, so you better listen up. And Peter's telling his readers here that the trustworthiness of these scriptures that you and I can take for granted so often is proved by the fulfillment in time and history of all the Old Testament prophets' writings. If they had just been making these things up or taking a stab in the dark, using their own imaginations and how they think things are going to go, the subsequent events would have proved them to be false. But the writings would have been forgotten long ago if that had happened. But the prophecies of the Old Testament that you and I still have have been 100% true and fulfilled to date. Even the closing words of the book of Revelation are a stark reminder to you and I of what Peter's saying here to the, the importance of these words of God to all of us. That only a true interpretation of Revelation's message is permitted because a fearful judgment awaits anyone who displays a casual attitude towards God's word uh, to the things found in the book of Revelation. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Let this sink in. I testify to the one who hears the words of the prophecy contained in this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Note to self, don't go there. 
Verse 19. And if anyone takes away from the words from this book, from this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Pay attention. God's word is precious. It is powerful. It's what the Holy Spirit uses to guide us, to lead us, to bring people to salvation. And Peter goes on in verse 21, the last verse of chapter 1, to say, for no prophecy was ever born of human impulse. There isn't one. That is true. Rather, men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. How tempting it must have been for Peter to want to, to write whatever he wanted. And I'm sure there are lots of letters he wrote that we don't have as scripture, that he just, they were personal letters that, that he wrote, and probably many. But he probably had his own particular inclinations. He probably had his own pet peeves about certain things going on in the church and even maybe personal grievances. Uh, he had been one who had lived with Jesus for over three years. And he had witnessed many things that you and I have no knowledge about. Fascinating things. John tells us in his gospel at the end, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did that I saw with my own eyes, there aren't enough books in the world to contain it all. But here he didn't yield to that temptation. And this is the way it had to be because no man produced any scripture in and of himself. Peter's a fisherman by trade. That's how he spent the vast majority of his life. And he uses a familiar picture here of a vessel being blown along as the wind fills its sails. Where's the ship going to go? <laughs> Wherever the wind blows. <laughs> and that had been such a huge part of his life. And so he draws back on that memory to describe how God's word works. His inspired word works. Each author of of a book of the Bible or a letter in the Bible, used his own individual style in recording and in writing the words that he put down. He used illustrations that he was familiar with, but the finished product was not an invention or a creation of that particular individual. God, through the Holy Spirit, was working through the mind and the personality as he, God, carried them along like a, like a ship being moved by the wind to produce the unique words of God. That's what you and I have. It's amazing. So how much do we personally value these precious words? Do we, do we really appreciate them? And is that displayed and shown by how we conduct our lives and how often we spend in these words? Remember at the beginning of the message when we talked about Wasted potential that you might see in other people? Do we ever waste the potential that God has given us with his precious word? Or do we find ourselves taking advantage of what God has faithfully left us? Are God's word what we rely on to defend ourselves from all this darkness that is around us? Are his words what we recall, regurgitate to expose the darkness so we even know what is light and what is dark? When a, when a gunman opened fire 
on the Pulse nightclub in Orlando in 2016 on June the 12th. Dozens of SWAT team members uh, responded and were there, surrounded the place. One of them was Michael Napolitano. And he soon found himself in the line of fire. In fact, he took a bullet to the head. And he survived. How? Thanks to the helmet that he was wearing. It's called, uh, called a, a Kevlar helmet. It's made to be bulletproof. And in Michael's case, he probably said, thank God, it was. The helmet had been damaged but not destroyed. And, and Michael had an abrasion, as you can see, on his forehead. But no, no serious wound. Paul makes it so clear to us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, that you and I must take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's Word defends us from our enemy's attacks. You and I are in the line of fire because we are God's children. There's no getting out of it. We are in the midst of spiritual darkness and warfare. It's all around us. Subtle at times so that we kind of fall asleep. We can fall asleep. But God's word are not, is not just a defense against that. God's word for you and I is a, is a weapon to attack with. And we may experience bumps and bruises along the way. In fact, come on, let's, let's all own up. We will. But spiritually fatal wounds, never for a true child of God. And this is Peter's reminder to each of us, each of us who declares that we are God's children through our faith in Jesus Christ, death on the cross for our sins. He died in my place. And I need these reminders every day. And that's why the discipline of filling ourselves on a regular basis, filling ourselves up constantly, daily, with God's precious words is so life-giving and it can't be neglected. And Peter can't say it enough. And we neglect it at our own peril. I'm going to ask you to rise with me. And we're going to respond. We're going to respond in worship to our amazing God who left us these words. And I pray, my prayer is that your heart and your mind, that mine included, is infected with what God has said today that it stays with you, that you won't be able to shake it, and that God will bring people into your life, maybe through this church or through your family or friendships, who will remind you of who you are, and that you will see the sharp contrast between who we are and what is going on in our world today, and that will drive you back to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is powerful. It's sharp. It cuts. It exposes. It protects, it defends, it gives us nourishment, it feeds us. It's what we need. And Lord, we thank you for your provision. And I pray that whatever it takes to get us to dive into it on a more regular, consistent basis and to feed on it and to live it out by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will make that happen for each of us. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen.